Welcome to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex, and relationships here in the heart of the nation. I'm Ivana Ho. One of the things Christina Lee and I have in common is that we're both big Taylor Swift fans. Christina was partial to the song Happiness from Taylor's album Evermore. I think happiness was really, really, I related to it in a way that in different aspects of life, like yeah. you can be happy about something, but that can also be a source of something that doesn't make you happy, mm-hmm. but both of those things can be true. Yeah, yeah, and and I think the way that I read that song too was the idea that, like as you were saying, she is bitter right now, but she realises that she's not going to feel this way forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which pretty. I guess is is the contrast to Evermore, yeah. where she feels like she's gonna have these carry these feelings with her forever. Oh, yeah, I think that's what makes humans so interesting—the complexity behind us. We are constantly contradicting ourselves. Yeah, so I think I'm coming to accept that. Like that's part of who we are. We uh-huh. can like something so much but hate it tomorrow. Uh-huh. I usually don't. If I like something for a long time. To me. This statement is representative of Christina's character. Christina is loyal to a fault. Family is everything. Friends are forever. When she commits, she commits. And that goes to the heart of our conversation topic, Christina and her sister. So I understand that you're turning 23 this month. Yes, in three um, days. In three days. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, can't relate to 22 anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> can't listen to that song anymore. And that's another Taylor Swift reference for all you non-Swifties out there. Are you doing anything special for your birthday? I am going to Brisbane to surprise my best friend. Ooh. So hopefully she doesn't find out until then. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to surprise her and just have the best day of my life without her knowing. So <laughs> that's the plan. You know, that that kind of reminds me of, um, again, like the release of Evermore and how it's like mm. it's Taylor's birthday, but yeah. she's giving us this present yeah. and, you know, like oh, you're, so yeah, you're like gifting your best friend yeah. with this my surprise presence. of you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. I'm, I hope she cries. <laughs> I'm going to cry so much. I haven't seen her for two years. It's been a long time. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, two years. Yeah. That is forever for, you know two people as yeah. close as the two of you mm. I imagine yeah. but are you also a crier oh my gosh <laughs> like anything will make me cry especially proposal videos oh yeah or like um, people returning home or acceptance when you open the acceptance letter to their dream university that always uh-huh. gets me but like when people just look at me really nicely I'm like oh <laughs> this is gonna also make me cry Christina studied at the Australian National University, where I originally met her. I edited a piece she wrote about spearheading an effort to build a library in a village in Nepal. In the course of working on that with her, I learned about Christina's interest in law and human rights, and how that was sparked by what happened to her sister almost 30 years ago, before Christina was born. As I got to know Christina a bit better, 
I saw how pervasive her sister's influence has been on her. How much she motivates and drives everything she does and how she lives. I wanted to explore that with her and better understand it. The first thing to know is that she's part of a tight-knit family. You're living at home with your family. Yes, yeah, mm. from Cairns, from Korea originally and grew yeah. up in Cairns, but I moved here for uni and my family followed me the year after, so <laughs> we're all together again, which is nice during COVID. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's really great that they came, moved here to Canberra, yeah. you know, to be with you and mm, yeah, while sure. you were studying. Yeah, we're quite tight and... We always hang out with each other. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> my family's my biggest distraction. <laughs> what do you guys do together? We talk a lot. I think because when we first came to uh, Australia, Dad was still in Korea. And whilst we were adjusting into this new life, Mom was like the person I'd always go to. Like We'd come home and Mom and I'd go to the Esplanade in Cairns and we'd just walk for two hours and talk about our day. And I'd cry sometimes if I had a bad day or... So if I don't talk to it, it's like it didn't happen. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's a big part of my life is the way I process things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It must be so nice to have a mother and have parents like that. Mm-hmm. I'm blessed, I guess. Yeah, yeah. very lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have a younger brother. Mm-hmm. I have a younger brother. He's 21, <laughs> two years apart. Mm-hmm. And you have an older sister. Yes. I still don't know when people ask me how many siblings do you have I usually just say I have one younger brother when, when we become closer I reveal that I had a sister because I don't really want to be like first meeting them and dump this sadness on them mm-hmm. it's not sad for me but people usually go oh I'm so sorry and I don't want them to like, have to feel bad about my life mm-hmm. so usually leave it till a few days later or a few months or years sometimes I don't say it at all um, but yes, I have an older sister. She would be turning, gosh, 29 this year. So that's quite old. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it still doesn't feel real that she would be turning 29. But she passed away when she was seven. So the only image I have of her is her as a seven-year-old or as mm-hmm. a baby. So I don't know how to picture her as a 29-year-old. Yeah. And I was thinking about this before where... Mm-hmm. You know, because all of your memories and mm. all of the photos and videos that you have of her are mm. of her at that age. Yeah. Like, that's the oldest that she is yeah. in, in those photos and videos. Mm. Like, it must be interesting to sort of frame your relationship mm. with her as, you know, her younger sister. Mm. Yeah, it's hard, I think. I never, like, dwell upon it, but I can't picture her as someone older. But I think when I picture her, I picture myself as a baby, like a really tiny toddler. So mm-hmm. it makes sense in my head. But I have a like Italian sister called Sylvia who's also born in 1992. And she's been in my life for the last six years. And I kind of picture my sister when I'm with her. So mm-hmm. I think when I meet people born in 1992, I have a special connection. And I think, oh, this is what they she'd be like. Huh different versions of her around the world you have an Italian sister <laughs> she was my Italian teacher in high school she lived with us for okay. two months and yeah ever since then after I graduated she's just like my sister and I tell her everything that I tell my sister so yeah 
Christina's sister was born on November 14, 1992. Her mother was 27 when she had her. Yes, she was really young when she had her um, in Korea, in Gongju, and my sister was born with a small issue in her mouth and could have been easily solved. Um, but she had a medical accident when she was about eight months old. The doctor turned the wrong gas on and the hospital didn't do everything they could do to save her. So she was completely brain damaged um, and they didn't tell my parents for hours until someone said, is that your baby in the ICU? So that's when everything started. My mom was a nurse in Korea, so she knew everyone in that hospital. She trusted a lot of people in that hospital. Um, and they just didn't spend that time to save her. It was more about let's hide our mistakes to save our careers of this little baby, like put her on the side and didn't give her the oxygen that she needed. Um, and this is all from what I've heard. I didn't get to experience it, but I think I've heard it so many times. I feel like I have experienced it. And the hospital gave my mom so many options of giving her up. And not once was that ever something that crossed her mind or my dad's mind. It's their baby, their first baby, and they were going to do everything they can to save her. And mom had an incredible support around her as well, like really good family, especially my grandma was just her, another arm for her. They tried everything in Korea. My, my dad went into the uh, mountains in snow because my sister also had seizures. So my dad would go into like this tree and find these little like bugs. Apparently they're known to like prevent people from having seizures and attacks. And so yeah, he did everything he can do. And mom and my grandma and my sister went to America in 1997. I think it was 96 to 97, um, because mom read in a magazine that the hospital in America and Minnesota, they have a solution for brain damaged children. So mom went, limited English. Um, my mom's very good at just going. Dad's more of the looking after the background and trying to solve issues that mom might have created. <laughs> um, and she went with my grandma and the hospital said there's no hope because the damage was scattered like stars. If Usually people and their brain damage it can be one spot to target and fix, but that wasn't the case for my sister. But I think it was a, quite a healing time for mom because like the first taste of freedom she got after having my sister, like she went to this new country surrounded by new friends and really supportive church family there as well. And she still talks about them, like they know each other very well, but I've lost contact with a lot of those people. Uh, I think just wherever she went, she had beautiful people protecting her. Um, and I'm really curious to meet these people one day because I know like, even though she's gone, so many people have memories of her. And when I collect those memories, I feel like they, they're more puzzle pieces and she becomes more complete. They came back to Korea and they had me in 1998. Yeah. Uh, I don't really remember my sister. I don't know if I like have made up this image and I think I remember her. But I remember uh, after she um, died, I remember asking my mom, where is she? Where is sister? Um, I, I remember that, which is weird. I remember a mom says that I would 
be such a good kid because my sister had to be carried 24-7, fed, like everything she had, she needed help from mom. So mom was her body. But then I was a little baby as a toddler. So if we were in a taxi, I'd just fall asleep, but I would wake up and just walk out by myself and just hold mom's hand. Uh, my sister had to be carried. And they say, like, I, did, I never cried. I was just such a good child, <laughs> which is nice. But I know I was naughty because my sister never moved and but she really reacted to sounds that she'd just laugh at anything but I think I tried to play with my sister and she wouldn't move so I bit her <laughs> it was a really big scar on her eye that oh. I made <laughs> a horrible child I think I just wanted to play yeah. <laughs> yeah. Move. but yeah um the photos of me just on top of my sister like oh my get off little child I'm so big as well and or like my hand on her and she I'll be watching TV but my hand is on her oh, I think sweet. I was always around her yeah um and then they had my brother because they thought I was really bored and <laughs> needed someone to play with which I think is incredible what mom and dad did like after having uh, my sister, I don't know if I was a parent, I don't think I could have more children, mm. but they still managed to <laughs> have two more. Uh, my sister, they predicted that she would only live for seven to eight years, so she's had the full life that she was meant to have. It, it seems like it mm. was really through, you know, the dedication mm. and love that yeah. your parents gave to her that yeah. she, you know, outlived everybody's expectations. Yeah. I think so, and she's completely paraplegic and couldn't do anything on her own, but people told mom she's lucky because she, she was carried her whole life, she was just completely loved, and she doesn't know sadness or pain, um, which is, I hope so, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so that's her life in a few minutes, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm sure there's so much more that I don't know, mm-hmm. that's what I know. Yeah, and I mean, like your parents did so much. I remember you telling me mm. last time when we caught up about how your father installed like a slide in oh, her yes. room. Yeah, yeah, there was a giant slide. Oh, my sister had a room, and that I always played in, and um, they were all the lessons Mom learned from America. Uh, and they made the room completely black and white, and with lights um, to like make her alert and respond to different uh, like senses and they would have um, this big sign on the wall that said brain grows by use so even though it's completely damaged if we train her if we so the slide was completely wooden and um, if you just put her at the top she would like, slowly crawl down um, which is my favorite slide to play on um, or different like gym balls or uh, like exercise equipment because she was so stiff all the time you'd have to like massage her and let her like let go she was always like strained mm-hmm. um so yeah that was her room and <laughs> and your father hoped for a miracle mm-hmm. that you know that your sister would recover or improve yeah. um and you mentioned that um miracle was mm-hmm. the name of the album that yeah he would listen to with her yeah that's right so dad would come back from home and he'd still be in his suit but um on the couch he would hold her and they just listen to the music together and that was their bonding time that was how they spent their time together 
I think I was crawling around them when <laughs> we were all together. And yeah, I still listen to the CD, still in the car. Um, and yeah, I can, I remember dad, my sister, um, they had their funeral service on top of a mountain in Korea. Um, and my dad left her favorite toy, the violin, like on top of the mountain in between rocks. And he says he remembers coming down. Um, from the mountain and the violin started playing on its own wow. and he thinks like that was her goodbye and yeah I have only spoken to mom like, I've spoken to mom more about her than dad but I'm slowly getting more stories out of him and yeah I think it's way of healing to talk about it In high school, in when I was 14, 15, the story made me angry always. Why did it happen to our family? Why can't I have a sister? Like, why did that doctor have to do that? And it was always anger, anger, or sadness. And seeing mom be so sad for so many years, um, and that's why we came to Australia as well. So everything, just that story made me really mad. Compounding Christina's anger, was the legal battle her parents went through to get justice for what happened to their daughter. The hospital wouldn't take responsibility. Neither did the doctor. That doctor who turned on the wrong gas was always the villain in my head. And I, he always made me angry because I know he's still a doctor in Korea. And I thought, how can you live with that? But mom told me the story a few days ago that he came to court to give evidence but another senior doctor stopped him so that really changed something in me I thought I was so angry at him but in a way I, I thought he's human he made a mistake and he, he tried try to stand up for it and try to mend it but were other people stopping him but yeah overall the hospital didn't give evidence didn't come to court didn't want to do anything with it. They offered to give mom and dad uh, uh, support throughout her entire life. Like they can come to their hospital and they'll look after her, which is not fair. It's like, we made the mistake, you come back and we'll try and help her survive. Um, but no, so we uh, fought in court. Mom and dad, because of mom's medical knowledge, we could get all the evidence and they fought hard. And there was another lawyer was three of them and whilst mom was in America I think that's when the battle finished and they the court said yeah it's the hospital's fault and we got compensation but I can't bring anyone back and yeah I don't think it was that much and I think it was just the fact that they the court said yes it was their fault not there wasn't anything wrong with um us their daughter so I think that was sense of relief for them but that really made me think about wow imagine if we didn't have that lawyer or imagine if we didn't have a justice system where no one believed in us that we were the lucky case there are so many medical negligence cases where victims are never listened to hospitals have so much power and I know hospitals do so many great things as well but there are ones that don't want to um, be at fault yeah. so that's what really that's the first time I really heard about the legal world mm. and I mean the legal battle went mm. on for years yeah and you know like yeah. I'm just thinking about like I, I just feel so sorry like your family against mm. 
you know, the big hospital mm. and, you know, the lawyers that they would have been able to pay for versus, yeah. you yeah. know, your family. Yeah. Like, oh, it's a, such a horrendous situation. Mm. Like, it's a situation we didn't create. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah, it, that's why it made me so angry, I think, always thinking about that doctor. I just thought, why do you have such a good life and you've done this to us? Um, but I think it was in year 10 or year 9, I started to read more cases about human rights and I learned about this organization and UN and I thought, wow, like what I have is nothing compared to what other people are going through. Like I learned about human trafficking and what these girls are going through and I started to re-channel that anger into something else. Because I thought, okay, I'm angry, but what's this going to produce? And is my sister proud that I'm just angry about what happened to her? So I thought, no, this doesn't feel right. I want to do something for her. I can't bring her back. She can't be alive again. I think that's also what made me really angry. I can have a life. I can be married one day. I can get a degree and be happy, have a family. But my sister can't do any of that. Um, but I also noticed that it's not just... Um, there are also other people that are at the risk of losing that and if I did something to help them out they can have something that my sister couldn't have so I thought okay I want to study law I want to go into this field of human rights or anything to do with the justice system and so I can just be by someone's side to um, support them to just hold their hand because this system is so complex and studying it made me realize how difficult and confusing it is if there's someone that understands it it's been through it I'd like to be there for them mm. so yeah that's what started my passion <laughs> so I lost we lost so much but I think we gained so much as well and I She's my source of motivation every morning. I'd be like, oh, another day. But then I'd go, wow, another day. Like, I'm so blessed. I can see another day, like another beautiful blue sky that other people were dying to live for. Like, this is someone's tomorrow that they wished for. So, yeah, she's always getting me off my bum and <laughs> makes me work hard. I had asked Christina if she could bring along some photos of her sister that we could look at during our conversation. I'm sorry that the listeners can't see this. <laughs> she pulled out her phone and we peered at the screen. The images reminded me of the photos in my family photo albums, of every family photo album from the 90s, with that slightly faded film camera quality. So that's my sister in 1996. So I think that was in America. They, um, the hospital gave her the wheelchair and it was really different to like normal wheelchairs. Yeah. So the, yeah. there's a vest that you put on, otherwise she'll just flop off. And it was really high as well. She was always laughing. It's like you make a sound and she'd just laugh. She swiped to a new photo. Here we go again, mm. just laughing. It's a yeah. tiny little baby, but always laughing. <laughs> so she's sitting on a couch. Yeah, she's sitting on a couch. I think this is also in um, America, in the apartment. Yeah, I've never been to America, so it's. I think it's the only place that she's been to and I haven't been to, which is quite cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the next photo is from before the trip to America. It's of her mother with her sister on her fourth birthday. They're looming over a cake that bears tall candles. They're trying to blow the candles out. <laughs> yeah. 
I can notice all the clothing that she's wearing because I wear it <laughs> later in life. Oh. So all the dresses and shirts, I'm like, wow, that looks really familiar. It's all my sister's. In the next photo, her mother and sister are outside at a playground. There's an apartment building in the background. So that's right outside of our house. And there was a big park that we would just go and play and don't think I was born yet. Yeah, I think I would be in mum's belly. Mm. <laughs> so she would have been pregnant with me in... In 97. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's Children's Day. 5th of May is Children's Day in Korea. It's a public oh. holiday. <laughs> Very strange to have a public day, holiday for children, but we love it because we get presents on that day. And that's oh. um, Bong Jong-hwan, a really famous teacher in Korea, established this day to mm. enhance children's rights. Okay. So it's quite a special day for children. I still celebrate it. I still pretend I'm a child. Mm-hmm. So I think what, that's why. What do you do on that day? I just expect presents. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't really celebrate it anymore. But in Korea, um, it, we just go out for a picnic or there'd be some sort of event going on in our city. So I think if you were out here in this playground, there'd be so many children like, mm. loving their day. <laughs> in the next photo... Christina is about five months old. She's with her sister. Looking at this photo reminds me of what we were talking about before where, you know, like this is one of the few captured moments of you being younger than her. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell, like, by the size difference, I look younger. But I think in 2000, the photos, I look really big, almost bigger than her. Mm -hmm like scary when I'm next to her. I'm scared that I'm going to hurt her. Like looking at the photos, I'm climbing on her and such a naughty child. But here I was still a little toddler and Mm. we could still fit in a couch together. We kept scrolling. Um, And that's when I was much bigger. So now you can see that Mm. we're similar sizes. Yeah. Again, trying to squish into my sister somehow. Mm. And I think my grandma decorated her hair. She always tied mm. our hair up and different accessories, always colourful. And mm. I don't know if I'm trying to hold her hand there, but mm. that's when my sister was more sick. And she, you can see in the photo she's slowly fading. Mm. Yeah. Um, more pale, more skinny, um, mm. whereas I'm getting really plumpy. See, <laughs> 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 that's... One of the few family photos we have, mm-hmm. we went on a holiday to Jeju Island with mm-hmm. my dad's entire family. He has five brothers and one sister. Yeah. He's number six. Uh-huh. Um, and, yeah, we're all wearing sunnies. Um, my mom was pregnant with my brother, so to me that's a family photo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, you can't see him, but he's there. He's there, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a big trip, I think, carrying a toddler and also – my sister on a wheelchair because you need to get on a plane to go to Jeju Island. Um, but that's a really special place to me because that's where my parents went on honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we went on a trip to, with my sister. And, you know, I went back in 2018 with my grandma. and I think that would be our last trip with her. So I think Jeju Island has a really special place in my heart. And that's it with all the photos.
I used to not share her story because I thought it's mom's story and I don't have the right to share it. Um, also, I did experience a few times where people didn't take it very well and they'd like go into questioning mode and like ask me so many like personal weird questions and it used to hurt me. And some people ask me how does how does her story align with your career choice? Like they can't understand. And I was like, oh, you don't have to understand. But, um, so I was quite scared of opening up. But I noticed that only by me opening up, she can live on. Like you listening to her story and it being recorded for other people to hear, like so many other people will know about her. And I think that's really special. I think if you've lost someone, that's a really nice way to heal. And we don't have to just forget, close the chapter and say, that's it. We don't have to talk about her ever again. No, we have to talk about her. Like We don't pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, keeping her alive. Yeah, yeah. So I that's one of my missions in life. I say I live for two and then my family worries because they think there's too much pressure on me. You live for two people. Mm, yeah, but I think it makes me not do bad things. <laughs> Make yeah. smarter decisions and be more grateful. Mm. It's, it's a day that my sister could have seen. It could have been me, but I have given, been given this life and, and I'm so lucky. Like we're all so lucky to be breathing and to be just alive today. Mm. So you mentioned there that your um you initially felt like this was your mother's story mm. to tell yeah and for you growing up mm. like you actually didn't hear about the mm. struggle that your parents went through mm. or um you didn't know very much about mm. it until I think you were in like year seven yes that's right yeah I think mom like of course I knew about it and I always like heard my mom talking about it with her friends I would try and sit closer to her and eavesdrop because I was so curious um when we first came to Australia it was 2005 so I would have been seven and that's when I started hearing things but in year seven when we properly moved to Australia I would have been uh 13 yeah and my English was really bad and I had no confidence so terrified of being in uh, high school, technically year seven. My teacher, Mr. Mack, who passed away two years ago, a really, really important person in my life, pushed me. He said, no, he, uh, you can do this. And he taught me how to give a really firm handshake. And there was an opportunity to go uh, for a public speaking competition. And I was like, I'm not putting my hand up. No way. I can't even talk to one person properly. And he volunteered for me. He said, no, Christine is going to represent our class. And I thought, well, it's a bad idea. Um, but I usually, when people tell me to do things, I'm like, okay, I'll really, I'll give it a go. So I thought, okay, I'll try. And the topic was who do I admire the most? And I think I wrote about Bethany Hamilton, a surfer who lost her arm to a shark attack. And that's when I uh, I wrote the speech and I gave the speech um, for our high school, uh, the school's round. And then I won that round. So they like chose me to represent the school to go to the district round. But it didn't feel right for me to go stand up. Uh, Bethany is so incredibly inspiring, but it's not who I admire the most because I had my mom in front of me and when she was listening to my speech I felt oh that's really you I felt like I was lying to myself so I remember asking mom I want to rewrite my speech for the finals and I want to write about you so she sat me down 
Um, how did she feel, first of all, when you said that, you know, that she's the person that you admire the most and you want to give us speech about <laughs> oh, that? I think she was quite overwhelmed, but I also think she quite expected that. Like, <laughs> we're quite open about loving each other. Like, okay. Too much sometimes, I think. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we talked. She just gave me the full story and I remember just writing. I think I was typing. And I. About your sister and the legal battle. Yes, and about her story and right. what happened and why I admired the most. I think it, I wrote about unconditional love. Not once my mom thought about giving her up when there are so many opportunities for her to give her up. Not once did she regret or, um, think anything bad like her she'd never wish that this didn't happen to her um she only wishes that she could have given her a better life which I think is quite ridiculous because she's done so much and they've done so much and they will never think it was enough Uh, I think that's one thing that lots of people hold on to should have done this should have done more just hard um but yeah she told me the story I wrote the speech I think it was a three-minute speech and I remember Mr. Mack came, another teacher from our high school came, my mom was there, and the rest of the families of other contestants were there. And I remember doing the speech, and I could see Mr. Mack crying. And I was like, oh, no, if you start crying, I'm going to cry. And then I could see my mom's eyes getting red, and everyone in the crowd, they were just eyes were going really red. And I hate crying in front of lots of people and I wanted to finish the speech and also wanted to win. (laughs) Very competitive. But just looking at them, I thought, oh my gosh, I've never publicly announced my sister's story before. And to be able to have about 30 people listening in to her story was really special for me. And I think I cried. I think I cried when I said my final lines and it was really special. I think that really, uh, instilled in me her story and that I am going to live for you uh, for me to realize this is what I want to do I didn't realize back then I wanted to be a lawyer but it was only one year after it all connected slowly so yeah and you mentioned that um like a couple of days or so or Mm. before you know we caught up today Mm. that you and your mother sat down and talk yeah. through kind yeah. of everything again and yeah. it was the first time that your mother was able to yeah. talk about the story without crying herself yeah. yeah which I thought was really special I think part of that is because of what I've been doing for the last few years I asked so many questions I made it okay to bring up at dinner it was something that we never it was once a year maybe on her birthday we'd secretly have a cake because we didn't want dad to be sad um, but now I think I'll get angry if they don't want to talk about it because it's a story that needs to be shared. And I always thought it's their daughter, but now I'm trying to own that she's my sister and I have the right to tell her story. I don't know if that's selfish, but, <laughs> but yeah, mom, really, we stayed up till 2 a.m. We went through the whole album. Dad, on the night my sister died, my dad made an album for her. So from her birth, to um, the final day, her funeral, the black car. So her whole life is in one album. So we went through all of that. And every time I look at it, I notice something different. I look at a new photo or I have new questions. And it's really exciting. Like they're gone, but they're really not gone. They're so alive. You just got to really search for them. Mm. 
Yeah. I think it's healthy now. Oh. And that's why mom didn't cry. Because it's given us so much energy and she, she can see how it motivates me. And yeah. So you and your mother talk quite openly mm. about your sister now and, and your brother also, mm. you know, yeah. um, as part of that conversation. Yeah. But, but your father still mm. finds it really difficult and he finds it difficult to mm. uh, look at her image. I think so. I assume. Yeah. But I think also Korean men are stereotyped to be really stern and don't show emotions and they can't cry, which is so bad. And I think he's still trying to keep that image. Um, But when he tells the stories, it's really deep and I can see how much he loves her. And because he hasn't, he didn't have that opportunity to talk, talk so openly about her with his family, he finds it hard to talk about her with us. Whereas mom with grandma and grandpa, they were so open about it. Um, so yeah, but I think slowly changing and everyone has different way of dealing with grief and I think we have to be really understanding and not push people, but sometimes a little bit of a, a push is okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but I think we're okay now, which is quite special to say. Yeah, and yeah. it seems like your sisters really, you know, made you all a lot closer. Yeah, for sure. Another. Yeah, I think that's what mom says. During um, her uh, accident, dad would always hold mom's hand really tightly, like so tightly. I think he was scared that mom was going to let go or be scared. So he just always held her hand really tightly, like didn't say anything else, just held her and yeah, that's really special. In the last part of our conversation, we delved into the volunteering work Christina had just begun with Palliative Care ACT. She spoke about what led her to volunteer with them and what that has to do with her sister. I think ever since I was young, because of my sister's story, stories of children with disabilities always sparked something in me. In grade one, mum and I read this book about a boy who couldn't walk and he always needed crutches, but it was about him becoming school captain and learning how to overcome his challenges and that always really inspired me. And I always wanted to read stories about people with physical difficulties. Uh, I don't know if that's because I have a personal story or... They just inspire me more. And I felt the same feeling again when I watched a Korean TV show called Chocolate last year during COVID lockdowns. I watched so many Netflix shows. And it's a show about palliative care. And the guy, the main actor, is a doctor in the hospice centre and the female lead is a chef. And they fall in love. Well, that's the main story. But on the side, every episode, you meet a different patient. And they die at the end of every episode, so it's very heartbreaking. <laughs> but that show made me rethink about palliative care and end-of-life care. And the show, there's a line that says, these people aren't dying, they are living every day. And they, that made me rethink everything, especially about my grandma who's really sick in the hospital and my grandpa who passed away a few years ago. I always thought, oh my gosh, they have a horrible ending and I don't think there's anything I can do about it. The show taught me there's so much we can I think wanting to study human rights and wanting to work for human rights, I always thought about people's 
uh, like beginning of life, so children's rights or educational rights or right to uh, have a house to live in. But I never thought about right to life at the end, right to have a dignified ending. And I thought, okay, what can I do? What can I do as a 22-year-old? So I contacted the local organisation, incredible local organisation. They train volunteers every year. They have a few hundred volunteers. I think one went to their Christmas function last year and one volunteer even volunteered for 30 years. Wow. It's actually incredible. And I was quite scared because I'm emotional and I get really easily attached uh, and that's not a good trait to have if you're going to go into hospice care. Um, but at the training, I learned so much and they were really emphasizing that this is a complete privilege. You wouldn't have like, had the opportunity to meet these people anyway. So to be able to spend the last few months or weeks or days with them is a present mm-hmm. and you get to be a part of that. So be grateful. Don't be sad. So you mentioned like meeting these people so mm. what was it that uh, you were doing during mm. that training mm. so at the training we watched a video of palliative care so we I didn't actually get to meet patients there were other volunteers but yesterday I got to meet them for the first time and I'm not gonna lie I was quite nervous I've been to nursing homes for the last decade of my life so I'm very used to very sick grandmas and grandpas but I didn't know what to expect and I was quite scared that I was going to meet someone quite young and how I was going to react to that. And then I thought this is so selfish. This is this fear is from just uncertainty and not being familiar. I was scared that I was going to overstep the line or say something bad. Um, but as soon as I stepped into the hospice centre, I got to meet all of the people that work there and I thought, what a calming place. If I was dying, I would like to be here. It was so beautiful. You see the lake and everyone had an individual room. And I had two volunteer um, mentors with me. So we were going around together. And all we do is just ask, do you need help? Do you need anything? And I helped a older lady drink some tea and made some tea for her. And so that was all I did. But I walked away thinking, oh, my gosh, that was really special. The fact that I'm welcomed into this part of their life and yeah so I think I'll be volunteering with them every week and it's only three hours not much um but yeah I walked out thinking wow I didn't know how to put it into words Mm. yeah Yeah. and I mean I imagine that you know aside from providing practical support Mm. like that you might end up, you know, like getting to sit with them mm. with some people and yeah. maybe talk to them, keep them company. Exactly. That yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. That's um, that's what they want. They say um, the patients are so sick of doctors and nurses treating them like a patient, and that they have to. But they love it when the volunteers come because it's just human to human. What? Well, how was your day? Or what was your life? And they love that. They get to be them again, not the sick version of them. So I think that's really special to to know, learn about them and hear part of their story and become a part of their story. So, yeah, I don't think I'll be too sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also am accepting that it's okay to be sad. I think it's bad if I didn't feel that. Yeah. So it seems like that TV show Chocolate mm-hmm. and your experience uh, with palliative care ECT mm-hmm. has 
sort of changed your approach to death and mm. to mm. um end of life i suppose yeah. or like you know, and what people experience mm. towards um their, the end of their lives yeah it still terrifies me of course i'm still so scared about my grandma passing away and i don't think that will ever become easy but that's okay we at the training we learned about learning to say they died instead of they went to a better place or they passed away like accept that it's a part of life when someone gives birth we celebrate that when someone finishes their journey here let's also celebrate that and yeah I think it's more about talking and because everyone would have experienced someone close to them passing away and there I said it again (laughs) um but yeah so I think we can relate on a more intimate level and that's what makes us human we're so vulnerable Mm. has this new perspective on death and um end of life experience reshaped your relationship to you know your your own sister's death and Mm. sort of I guess she was um approaching death too for Mm. far too long Mm. of her life Mm. yeah for sure I think I can see how much pain these people are in and how much pain she would have been in and how good I have it and I always get frustrated when people close to me start complaining and I think really (laughs) I need to stop doing that but I sometimes go snap out of it like we have it so good even with COVID in Canberra we're so lucky to be just interacting with people nothing has happened um but yeah I think I'm learning to see that there are so many people supporting one person in palliative care, it's not just doctors and nurses, they're volunteers, pastoral care, physiotherapists, teamwork, and we can make that happen. I think so many people die lonely and in pain, and that's not supposed to be the way, and more people need to talk about giving support uh, for these people so they can have a dignified death, and they can talk about all the options and what they want to happen after they've died. I think that's what most people don't do don't live a will apparently that's a really important thing to talk about before they leave um, and to familiarize people with it because it's not something scary yeah. yeah yeah I mean particularly you know in relation mm. to wills like people seem to avoid mm. writing a will because they don't want to confront yeah. the inevitability yeah. of their death mm. yeah exactly and I totally understand that but after they've left it's harder for the families to just assume what do they want so yeah it's hard conversation it's conversation that we have to have and it's interesting for us I think you Mm. know being quite young Mm. you know to be thinking about end of life and death but of course like you've experienced how um, death can take Mm. away someone Mm. you know at a very young age and Mm. yes it it has like totally reshaped your relationship Mm. to it yeah yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I'm sure so many people have experienced it too. I just don't know. I think that's what I've learned from this experience as well. Like we don't know about people. Mm. They have so many layers, so many layers of pain and happiness and dreams. And that's why I want to acknowledge people, just saying hello, because who knows what they're going through and I don't want to add to their pain. Mm. <laughs> so mm. I used to think human rights is across the seas or in a village somewhere and I still know that there's uh, help needed everywhere but it's literally in our social circles or in our workplace just being observant like are they okay starts from just 
conversations or is like your family okay? Small steps. Yeah. I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you this, that, like, you just radiate kindness. <laughs> You're very kind to say that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, you know, you more than anyone I've met just, you know, seem to do all that you can to, you know, make life better for other people. Thank you for saying that. And I wouldn't be here if my family or my uh, mom's friends didn't support her so I understand that <laughs> it takes a village to raise a kid and yeah I don't know I'm so grateful that I got to meet you and that you're through Nepal that we were connected and yeah it's like you never know who you're going to meet and I, would, I didn't expect to meet you at ANU I think in high school when people asked what do you look forward to the most uh, in coming to uni I think I always said I want to meet like-minded people and I look at you and then I think, wow, like it actually happened. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you for listening and being interested in her story. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Mm. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to? Or? Not really, but I hope she's proud of me. <laughs> I hope she's proud of what we've done and the person I am today. And I'll, I'll work on becoming better every day. <laughs> yeah, I'm just really grateful for today and yeah I I look forward to meeting her one day again (laughs) yeah and I realize that in the course of our conversation Mm. we've never actually uttered her name yes (laughs) my sister's name is Ga-Yoon Lee in Korean we'd say E Ga-Yoon that's her name You've been listening to Love Canberra. If you have a story you'd like to share, you can reach me at lovecanberrapodcast at gmail.com. The theme music, as always, is by Proletor. Details for the interstitial music are in the show notes. I'm Ivana Ho. Thanks for listening.